0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, It's a great way to start off our week, gather together to uh, worship our God and to hear from His Word. So glad to be here with you. Again, if You're brand new, first time you're visiting here. Let me give an extra special welcome to you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm the lead pastor here at Midtown Church and uh, really glad that you're here. You picked a great Sunday to be here because uh, we're kicking off a brand new three-part series today. So you're getting here right as the series is beginning. So good timing, way to go. Uh, I'm really excited about this uh, series uh, because I'm very hopeful that it's going to be just really practically helpful for uh, your personal growth spiritually. And uh, I want to say from the onset as we begin this series that uh, much of this has uh, been influenced by another church uh, th- that a series another church in Chicago did. Uh, uh, let me get the name of the church right. Community Christian Church up in Chicago. So we're highly in- indebted to a lot of the material that we're going to present in the next three weeks. Uh, I le- listened to their messages, uh, this, this one sermon series from them, and just thought, man, that is just so helpful. I'd love to get that in front of our church family. And so we've taken it, we've adapted it, we've customized it, but again, a lot of it we're indebted to them for. So we want to thank our brothers and sisters up in Chicago for helping our little church family out. But uh, like I said, I, I'm real excited about the series because I think it's going to be really helpful. We're calling it, as you can see, Feed Yourself, and Feed Yourself is, uh, it's good advice because uh, you need to eat to stay alive. Uh, I think you already know that, but, you know, as incredible as our bodies are, they are not self-sustaining. You know that, right? Like you have to feed them in order for them to continue to work. Now that's, you know, clear. No one's arguing with that. But, you know, something else that's true that perhaps, you know, isn't as self-evident, but is that uh, just like you have to feed your body for it to keep working, uh, for it to be healthy, you also, friends, you have to feed your soul in order for it to be healthy. That you have to feed your soul in order for it to be healthy. I don't know how many of y'all um, watched MTV uh, Movie and Music Awards, uh, I didn't know that those still existed until this week, but uh, it turns out they just happened last weekend. And uh, perhaps some of y'all saw uh, Chris Pratt won uh, the actor won an award uh, with that and uh, the Generation Award or something like that. I don't, I don't have any, any idea what that means. And uh, but he gave an acceptance speech, and it was awesome. And if you haven't seen it, you should look it up at some point in time because it really was very entertaining and also very good. And he said some profound things in this acceptance speech, which he was again receiving for the. Generation. Generation Award. And so he addresses the next generation in in a speech. And one of the statements that he said is this He just said, Hey, you have a soul, be careful with it. You have a soul, be careful with it. And that's powerful advice, friends. I don't know how much you often think about that, but it's true. And it should lead us to ask another question, which is okay, well, how do you care for your soul? How do you nourish your soul? How do you, how do you feed your soul? How do, you, how do you care for your soul? And we need to ask that question because here's what God tells us in Scripture. is so that what you take in with your eyes and what you consume with your heart and mind will impact the health and shape of your soul, just like what you take into and do with your body will impact the health and shape of your body. And so again, how, how do you care for your soul? Well, one thing that we got to do, as I've been alluding to, is we've got to feed it. But how do we feed our soul? What's the best kind of food that we can feed our soul? We've got to know where to find some really good soul food, if you will. And the best place to find great soul food is it's this. Or, or this, you know, paper or digital form of the Bible is, is the best way, best place to go to for great soul food. It's the best way to, to feed your soul. And so I'm really excited about this series because we're gonna, what we're going to try to do is, is help you take steps to nourish and feed your soul by driving a hunger within you to not want to suffer from spiritual malnutrition, By showing you the importance of reading and reflecting on what God says in in Scripture. Now... So that's where we're going to go. But let me, before we get too far down that road, let me just address something. I, I know that there are, are, are people in this room right here that uh, you have a hard time believing that the Bible is anything but a book that was written by uh, men you know, thousands of years ago. And maybe there's some neat stories in there and maybe there's some helpful advice or wisdom. But to you know, the, the, the claim that it's God's inspired word, is just like you just can't buy that. And if that's if that's where you are, first of all, I want you to say, I want to I want to say to you, like, man, I'm so thankful that you're here. And that when we started Midtown Church, we started with, with a desire for it to be a safe place for people to come and to explore and have questions and to have doubts and to voice those doubts and to voice those questions. And so if you're here, I want you to feel really welcome to ask those questions. And and again, I'm just glad that you're here. I Also wanna to say to you is um, if the, if you have those doubts about the Bible. I'll tell you, I get it. Like personally, I, I get that the idea that, that the Bible is you know, inspired by God, that like God had people write a book for him, that idea. Like, and that this book that's thousands of years old that we read today, that we can have any kind of, of, of trust that what we're reading is actually what was originally meant to be recorded. Like I get that how far-fetched that sounds. I really do. And so I get it if you have those questions. But I I do want to say at the beginning of this series is this. uh, For what it's worth, I do believe that it's God's inspired word, that this is the word of God, and that what we read today can be trusted to be reliable uh, translation of what God said originally. And so I know that... uh, I know that's hard to believe, but let me just give you one reason why I believe that. And I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time on this. There's lots of reasons why I believe that. There's lots of reasons why the partners of our church believe that. But let me just give you one to chew on initially, and then we could talk more about it later uh, if you want outside of the message. But the one reason that I want to just point to as we get going is this, that uh, I find it really hard to explain the unity of the Bible apart from the idea that it's inspired by God. I just have a hard time explaining the unity of the Bible outside of the idea that it's you know, inspired by God. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Um, I don't know if you know this. Perhaps you've studied this yourself. But the, the Bible isn't just one book that was written at one time by one person. The Bible is actually a library, in a sense, of 66 books and letters that were written by 40 different authors. And I've got icons to show you the the various types of authors. So you have generals and priests and shepherds, Jesus' brothers and kings and tax collectors and doctors and fishermen and government officials. All different people writing over a span of, get this, 1,500 years. Writing from three different continents and three different languages. And yet, they all tell one story about Jesus, and I, I, I think that that's pretty compelling. Like I don't, I don't know about you, but like that's really hard to explain outside that there's a a God that was orchestrating that. There's really the divine author behind all that, writing the story. Krista and I, and I play a goofy game with our kids uh, called "Pass the Story." You ever play "Pass the Story"? We'll sit around the, the dinner table, and we'll, uh, you know, one of us will start a story and that we're making up, and then we'll hit, say pass, and the next person in the table has to pick up the story wherever that person left off and add to it, and then they say pass, and he just kind of goes around the table in that way. Whenever we do that, every single time, the story is incredibly random and full of potty humor, every time. Now, my kids are nine and five, so it, it makes sense, but... but, <laughs> but Guys, if the, the Bible is either the most incredible past the story book ever written, that, that it's incredible because it's, it's, it's written by over 1,500 years by all these different people in all these different places and different languages, and some of them writing things that they didn't know what came before them, and yet somehow it all fit together to tell one grand meta-narrative story. That makes sense all the way throughout about God creating man and us falling away from him, and then what he did to restore us through his son Jesus and what he's doing to, to make all things new. Like the, that story would go all the way th- either that just happened, or, and I think much more probable, plausible, is that there is God who is actually the divine author writing that, inspiring that, what was written. So anyways, I, I just want to give that to you to chew on if, if you've got questions. And, and again, that's not the only reason why I personally believe the Bible is God's word, but it's one of the reasons. And if you want to talk more about it, uh, I'd love to grab coffee with you. I really would. And we can, I'll, I'll buy you the coffee and we can talk about it. I also want to just point you to a book. In fact, I bought extra copies of this book out on the resource table. That's just called Why Trust the Bible. And this, is, as you can see, a short little read, but very, very practical, very helpful, tackling five big questions that people people have about the reliability and the, and the nature of the, of the Bible. And I would highly recommend you to pick that up. I've, we're selling it on the resource table for 10 bucks, which is less than what you can buy it at Amazon. Or you can just take it for free. If you don't have the money, seriously, our gift to you, you'd love to get that in your hands. But it's, it'd be worth your read if you've got questions on this. So anyways, having said all of that, I do recognize that many of us would say, okay, yeah, I've I struggled with that. I've had my doubts on that, but I've come around to where I can really affirm what the Bible says about itself in it's 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, when it says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so if that's where you are, and if that's true, then guys, can we recognize we really need this? I mean, if God's word is really from him and it really is this useful and it really is the means by which we're equipped and we're trained and, and, and we're built up in righteousness, it's, it's, it's what shapes our souls so that uh, then can't we see that we, we need to feed on this regularly? And when I say regularly, I mean more than just you know, having it fed to us once a week on a Sunday morning. But actually, where you would open up God's word during the week and and learn to feed yourself from it in order to care for your soul, in order to nourish, nourish your own soul. It's that important, friends. Now, let me ask you a question Do you think it's that important? I mean, honestly, and, and, and practically, like functionally, if you looked back over your last week, would, would it show that you think that God's word is really that important? Or do you think maybe that as I'm a pastor, like, this is what I have to say, right? Read your Bibles. It's good for you. It's like, you know, it's like, you know, whatever. Take your vitamins. That's what doctors have to say. or what I say, read your Bible. Like, or do you really, are you really personally convinced? Like, it's that good for you. It's that important for you. Uh what I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is I want to give you two reasons why the Bible is the most important way to care for and nourish your own soul. And the first reason is because of what research tells us. And the second reason is because of what Jesus tells us. All right. And so we'll get to Jesus in a second. That's kind of the, the trump card. But first, I just want to point to this research study that was done because it's very, very intriguing, uh, Recently, or I guess it's been maybe a decade ago, uh, there was a study called the Reveal Study. Perhaps some of y'all have heard about it. In which a research group interviewed, hear this, a quarter million people. That's, that's a lot of people. And over 1,000 different congregations, different church congregations. And they were really driving after one question. The question was, what, what are the experiences, what are the practices that help people grow up spiritually? And what they found was that people, Christians, kind of, kind of fell into three different major buckets. They would say, okay, you have new Christ followers growing Christ followers and then mature Christ followers. And what was interesting is that there were certain practices and certain experiences that were more helpful for different for one group to help them grow spiritually that was less helpful for another group. So there were certain things that really helped mature Christ followers grow that were not as helpful for new Christ followers and vice versa. But here's the interesting thing. They did find that there was one practice that was extremely helpful for every one of those groups. Christ, do Christ Father growing or mature? And not only was it extremely helpful, but it actually was the most helpful in every single category. You want to guess what it is? (laughs) You think reading the Bible. It actually wasn't reading the Bible, it was more nuanced than that. It was reflecting on Scripture, reflecting on Scripture. Which implies that you would read it, but not just read it and be done with it, but read and then spend time reflecting on it. Letting the Holy Spirit speak to you through it. Every single one of those groups, 250,000 people interviewed, this is what they found. The number one most helpful thing you can do to grow up spiritually is to reflect on Scripture. Now, friends, don't discount that. But I also don't want you to just take their word for it. And so (laughs) let's also look to see what Jesus had to say about what's the most important thing that you can do to help feed your soul. Uh, So if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 4. And then we're going to bounce around. But if you want to just go somewhere, you can go to Matthew uh, 4, verse 4. And I'll give you a little bit of context here as you turn there. This is right before Jesus was to start his uh, public ministry. He had just been baptized, but right before he starts his public earthly ministry, he goes off into the wilderness uh, to to fast and to pray. And during that time, we're told near the end of this, like 40 days of fasting and praying, that the evil one comes and begins to tempt him. And in this passage, that's what's happening. The evil one has come, and, you know, Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting from food for 40 days. And so the first temptation is the, the, that uh, the devil says, hey, why don't you turn these stones into rocks? I mean, stones into rocks. Stones into bread. Nice. Uh, turn these stones into bread. And, you know, hot, warm, right out of the oven, bread, which would really be awesome right now. But, uh, and Jesus re- responds to him in this way. Verse 4, he says this. And Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, what I want you to notice is that in Jesus' response, he quotes scripture. That's what it means when it says it is written. He's referring to something that was already written. So though this verse is in the New Testament, he's quoting a verse that was found in the Old Testament, right? And so uh, it's worth mentioning that. It's noteworthy because whenever you're like really, you know, pressured and you're squeezed and, and, and you're tempted, like I don't know about you, but what I find is like what comes out of me in those situations is what was already inside of me. And here Jesus is pressured and challenged and squeezed, and what comes out of him is, is God's word that he has memorized. So that's definitely worth noting. But it's also worth noting that uh, the specific verse that he quotes is a verse that makes a connection between how important food is for our physical well-being with how important God's word is for our spiritual well-being. For see, the, the Old Testament scripture that he quotes here, is connected to a story about God providing food for his people. In the Old Testament, uh, the children of Israel were uh, enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And then finally, by God's power and under the leadership of Moses, they were released from slavery. And then they found themselves wandering around in the desert a couple months later without any food. And then in Exodus chapter 16, we get this account where the people of Israel are just grumbling. They're complaining because they're, in the, they're hot. They're in the desert. There's no food. And here's, here's what we read in Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. It says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have, bought, you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. <laughs> now, that cracks me up because I, I think that they were exaggerating a little bit. Like, I, I don't know, they go backwards. Here you go, like, I don't know about you, but they make being slaves in Egypt sound like they were living at a Brazilian steakhouse. Like a fogo de chow. Have you ever been there? Like, they just, we just sat around pots of meat and ate, ate all, of the, all of the food that we wanted. Like, we just flipped the little coaster over to green. And that was all. It was that, that's what, I doubt that being slavery and, a slave in Egypt was, that, was like that. If it was, then I would understand why they were so mad that they didn't have food and walking around the desert. But look, what, look how uh, God responds to them in verse 4. So here's so says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And so God tells Moses this. Moses then turns around and tells the nation of Israel this in verse 7. So here's what he says in verse 7. In the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. And then in verse 13, we see what happened that morning. And so it says, in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. All right. And so uh, then if you, if you jumped at, well, let me see, pick back up. Then what happens next is that... Uh, it says, this is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, which is the equivalent of a court, for each person you have in your tent. And then down in verse 19, we finally read this. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots. and began to smell. Not, not awesome. And then it kind of ties up with verse 31. The people of Israel called the bread manna. And it was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Okay. Now, no one, knew, no one really knows what manna was. I mean, a lot of people have theorized what it, what it was. But it's funny. Uh, the Hebrew word manna literally means what is it? Like that's the actual translation of that Hebrew word and so they didn't know Israel Israelites didn't know what it was they just knew that it tasted tasted good and it satisfied their hunger so they were good with it they ate it and they ate it every day if you eat it every day then you have to you know get creative whenever you're eating it and so I'm sure they had you know boiled manna and they had roasted manna and they had manna cakes and for dessert they had manna splits that was for you Alex (laughs) I worked that one in just for you buddy um no, uh, so you might be thinking, okay, hey, hey, neat story, all right, you know, thanks for telling us about manna, but how does that have anything to do with, you know, the idea that God's word is the best, uh, best uh, source of food for our soul, best way to care and nourish our soul? Well, that's a good question. So let me try to tie it all together. So with this from Exodus 16, here's what I want you to gather. Right? What I want you to gather from this is that, one, God gave manna to Israel to meet their needs and that they were to collect it every single day. And then here's how it connects to what Jesus quoted in Matthew chapter 4. What we see later on in Scripture, a couple books over in the Bible. So Deuteronomy and then Numbers, Leviticus and Numbers and then uh, I'm sorry, so you go Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, chapter 8, you have Moses addressing the nation of Israel again. And this is near the end of their 40 years of wandering around in the desert. And, and Moses is given a you know, big, like basically, sermon to the nation of Israel, and in that sermon, in chapter eight, he refers back to Exodus 16 and the beginning of God giving the nation of Israel manna. Here's what he says in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two: says, "Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these forty years. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone." but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, that last statement sounds familiar, right? And that's, that's the exact statement that Jesus quoted in Matthew 4 when he was being tempted. And again, it's, it's worth noting that when he, you know, when he quotes that, it, it, he, he's, he's, you know, he's being pressured and what comes out of him is God's word. But it's also really worth noting that the reason why he says this What's really interesting, the reason that Moses says this in Deuteronomy 8 and the reason Jesus quotes this verse in Matthew 4 and applies it there is because this verse reveals that God was not just trying to feed the children of Israel with manna, but he was actually using manna to deepen their relationship with him, trying to help them grow up spiritually. Now, here's why I say that. And hopefully you can tune in here if I've lost you at any point. The reason why the whole idea of manna was given to not, you know, the reason I would say the whole idea of manna was given not just to feed them physically, but to teach them a spiritual truth to help them grow up in Christ is all found right here in verse 8 when it says, He humbled you. See that word humbled? That's a key word in in the the Hebrew language. The the word uh, uh, humbled literally means to acknowledge your true source to acknowledge your true source. Now, as opposed to thinking that you are the true source of everything that you have and need, he says he humbled them to help them realize that the spiritual truth, that they are not sufficient, but are dependent on the one who is the true source for all they need physically and spiritually. And so when Moses says, and as Jesus quotes later, the statement that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, they were both acknowledging And they were both seeking to drive home the truth that because we are not self-sufficient, because we are not our own true source, we need the Word of God in order to live and thrive. And here's the thing, friends. I I think God wants all of us to realize that same truth. Like, I think he wants us, every one of us, to walk out of this room this morning saying, man, you know what, I've got to have God's Word. Whether, you know, paper or digital, again, it doesn't matter. You have to have this kind of food to satisfy your soul. If your soul is going to thrive, if you're going to really care for your soul, for hear this, the goal of reading the Bible and reflecting on, on it." It's not, the goal is not to gain information, but it is to lean in to an intimate relationship with God. So, The goal of Scripture is not to gain information, but it is to gain and experience greater intimacy with God. And yet, you might learn something, and that's great. And I oftentimes, when I am reading the Word, I, there's something that I learn that's helpful. But the main reason is is to foster greater intimacy with God. It's God's way of humbling us to help us remember who our true source is. And then we go to His Word every day to remember, like, man, I I can't survive apart from You, God. You're my true true source. That I'm not self-sufficient. But I survive and I thrive off of you. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And as I remember that and as I'm humbled in that way, my intimacy with God grows. And it's so good for my soul and friends. It's so, so good for your soul. Look, I'm going to assume that you're here today because you, you know, you, you're not content where you are spiritually, and that you want to grow up spiritually. And, and so I, let me just, like, if you will, like, let me just push you a little bit more on this, okay? Uh, reflecting on Scripture, as we've seen, it's, it's the key source of growing spiritually. Again, we see that with Jesus. We see that in the data, the, the research that was done. And so in light of that, be honest with yourself. How often do you actually do it? I mean, be real with yourself. How often do you actually feed on this? Like, I don't ask you that to guilt you. I'm I'm certainly not interested in beating you up at all. I just want to drive home this important truth in your life. Because here's what I am convinced of. I am absolutely convinced that one of the main reasons that many of our lives lack spiritual vitality is because we're malnourished. Many of our lives lack spiritual vitality because we're starving to death, because we're not getting enough of God's word to vitalize, refresh, and in our souls. And maybe what's going on is that there is a spiritual malnutrition happening in your life because we haven't learned or we haven't committed to feeding ourselves. And that your soul and my soul needs feeding. And the best way to do that is by reflecting on Scripture. And so there's this early... Uh, Jewish tradition, okay, that the rabbis would do with, with five-year-old kids as they would begin attending the local synagogue that I just found it so interesting and, and so helpful. See, one of the things they would do is when they were going, uh, when the, these five-year-old kids would first uh, be introduced to the Torah or the first five books of the, of the Bible, what the rabbis would do is that they would, uh, they would allow, allow the kids to dip their fingers in honey, and then lick, lick their fingers. And then that time, honey was like the sweetest thing that they had. So this is like candy for these kids. And so as they're licking their fingers with all this honey on it, then the rabbi would introduce Scripture by going to this verse, one Psalm 119, verse 103, which says this, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And the rabbi would say, kids, as sweet as this honey is, Let let this just give you a taste of how much better and even how much sweeter God's Word is. Now, I don't uh, have any honey to put on y'all's fingers today. I'm sure y'all are thankful for that. But I I do want to give you just an opportunity to taste the sweetness of God's Word this morning. So I'm going to do something that's a little bit different than what we normally do. Uh, But I'm going to ask us to just take a minute and do a little exercise together or really you're going to do it individually but we'll do it all at the same time and here's what the exercise is just to give you a taste of the goodness of the sweetness of God's word is that I'm going to put a, a passage up here at James 22 through 25 and what I want you to do is just to take a minute and read it and then take a minute and just reflect on it and when you reflect on it just ask a couple of questions I mean simple simple like you know what stands out to me here or Holy Spirit, what, what, you, what are you saying to me here? And just, you know, reflect. And then record, or, or on your bulletin, on your connection card, there's a space for you to write notes. To just write down a sentence or two, like no more than two sentences, but just something that you would say, okay, here's something that I feel like I, you know, that stood out to me, or something I feel like God's saying to me. And just take a minute and, and do that, and then after a couple minutes here, all right. That, that was just a taste. That was like getting a sample of Amy's ice cream, right? Just so you get a little, little, little spoonful. But, but hopefully, it, it, you know, you see, guys, just a, just a glimpse of how sweet God's word is. That, that this is uh, from God speaking to you truth that can nourish your soul. And as it says, uh, if, you put it in a, if you do it consistently, you put it into practice, You're blessed in what you do. Okay, so here's what I want to do as we wrap up this morning. Just to, 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 again, because I as your pastor, like, please hear me. Like, I really, really care about the health of your souls. And I'm not here trying to get anything from you. I literally just want something for you. I want you you to care. I want your, your soul to be in good condition. I want you to be nourished. And so I have two challenges for you that I would really ask that you would consider taking me up on, right? The first challenge is this. Uh, At least for the next three weeks, 21 days, while the the length of this series, uh, will you uh, read and reflect on God's Word each day? Will you you commit to the next 21 days to just say, okay, every day I'm going to read and reflect on God's Word? And even if it's only three minutes like we just had, or if you have a little bit longer, then that's great. But that every day that you would be spending some time where you would read and reflect on Scripture. Um, if you might think, okay, well, like, you know, I, do I really have to do it every day? <laughs> I mean, that's usually what I always think when it's like 21 days. Like, well, do I really have to do it every day. But guys, let me just remind you back in Exodus 16, remember with the manna, they had to collect it every single day. You know, what, what happened if they didn't collect it every day and said they just collected extra one day to eat the next day? What were they left with? Maggots. Yeah, that's gross. So you either had fresh manna or you had maggots, right? Well, guys, remember the purpose of spending time in God's word is not solely and not primarily information, but intimacy, And so when you think, okay, well, I already learned something last Sunday and so I'm good for this week. Or I learned something a a month ago in our Bible study that was really helpful for me so I don't need to read again. Or I read the Bible five years ago so I don't need to read it again. That's thinking about information. But guys, God is using his word to humble us and remember he's our true source. And every day it's good for our souls to reconnect with him, recognizing he is our true source. And to hear from him and let him speak nourishment into our lives and so guys will you do this every day will you do it every day for 21 days and just see what god does how your soul feels at the end of that time now you might think okay well what you know where do I start? That's often a question. And, and, and what do I do? Well, let me just quickly answer that. Uh, two, two, two tools that might be helpful for you is if you think about, okay, wh- how do I do this? What do I do? when I open up the Bible. I never really feel really, real prepared. Just use this simple guide. Read, reflect, and respond. So just read it. Then spend some time reflecting on what you read. So when you read it, don't just be, okay, I'm done. And I'll shut the Bible and move on. Like spend some time sitting with it, chewing on it, seeing what jumps out to you. Ask the Spirit to speak to you through and bring, you know, draw something to your attention. And then respond. And, and I love responding by recording something and writing down something about like, here's what I need to believe or here's what I need to remember or here's what something I need to do in light of what God was saying today. But that's simple. Read, reflect, and respond. And then you might ask, well, where do I begin? If this is new to you, oftentimes that's a question I get. Let me just say, uh, begin, when the, begin in the Gospel of John. If you need a place to begin, I mean, the the whole Bible's great, but if you want a place with my recommendation, begin in John. So this week, perhaps you begin in John, and John has 21 chapters. You could take a chapter a day for 21 days if you want, and read all through the whole book of John and, and use this guide. See what God does. That's my first challenge. Will you take me off on that? Second challenge is this. Will you also do this with other people? Like share what God has been saying to you with others. You go back again to Exodus 16. If you remember, the nation of Israel they would go out and collect manna in the morning and they would all do it at the same time. Because when the the dew would evaporate, there was the manna, you'd go out and you'd collect it. And I'm sure that there were times when one of the one of someone was sleeping in and the tent next to them noticed their friends weren't out there collecting, and so they went and yelled at them and said, You better get up and get your manna and that kind of stuff. Because that's helpful, it's helpful to have. Friends that you're doing things with. All right, that's common sense. Guys, it's so true in God's word. And so here's my challenge to you. If you don't have a group of people that you get together with on a, like a weekly basis to talk about what God's saying to you, I would really encourage you to take that step. And for those of you who do have that, I would really encourage you to be faithful in that group so that you could have time where you're regularly discussing what God's saying, your word and encur- saying to you in his word and encouraging you up in that so if you want to join an MC, we would love for you to join a, a Midtown community that's our MCs and help you get connected to a group of people that you can meet with on a regular basis and discuss God's word because it's good for you. And you can care for each other's souls and help each other point, point to where true nourishment is found. If you're interested in doing that, check the box on the connection card about being a, 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 more information about a Midtown community. We, we'll, we'll contact you this week. That's, that's the two challenges. Friends, I really ask you, will you please take me up on it for the care of your own soul? Can you commit to 21 days of reading the word? And will you find some people to discuss it with that hold you accountable and encourage you in it and that you can do the same for? Because here's what I know. We need fresh manna daily and you're helped when you do it together. Because God's word is to our spiritual wellness what food is to our physical wellness. And so we need to feed on it every day. Okay, we're going to end this morning by taking communion. And when we uh, take communion, what, what we're doing, friends, is, is we're, re- we're remembering something that's so incredibly important. And especially in light of what I'm talking about today, here's something I want to be very clear about. We don't go to God's word to save our souls. And we don't have to go to God's Word to save our souls because the Word of God made flesh came to us to save our souls. See, in the book of John, John. Chapter 1, we're told that Jesus is called the Logos or the Word. Basically, the Word of God made flesh or taking on flesh. And Jesus came to live the life that we were all supposed to live. And here is a life of complete dependence on our true source. Where we didn't try to live self-sufficient lives without God. Jesus lived that life. When he came, he was purely dependent on God the Father. He lived the life we were supposed to live. But then he, in love, willingly died the death that we deserve to die for turning our back on God and trying to live independently from him. And when Jesus died in your place, he took the punishment for our sins. And and through faith in him, believing and trusting in him, we are promised that our sins are done away with, And we inherit his righteousness. Because when we come to the communion table, we're remembering the word of God and how his body was broken. And how his blood was spilled spilled for us to save our souls. And my hope is, is that as we take communion now, that as you reflect on that truth, it will compel you. He will compel you remembering that he loves you this much that the word of God would die for you so that you can enter into a relationship with him and be saved and that that would move you to want to deepen that relationship with him by going to him in his word and fostering and cultivating a deep, intimate relationship with him. So the communion table is open to all that place their faith in Jesus Christ. We just ask that you would actually believe that what you're taking here is the the remembering of Jesus dying for you. If you believe that, then it's open to you. Tables in the back, tables in the front, you can come in any point during this next worship set. Friends, let's let's pray. Heavenly Father God, thank you for your word. God, we confess that oftentimes we treat it as uh, not as important as it truly is. And that we live self-sufficient lives, or we try to, but we do it to our own detriment. And God, we we ask that you would work in our hearts and stir up a hunger to turn to you, that we would feed our souls on your word, which is so good and such such blessings found. And God, we also thank you that the word of God came after us. And Jesus, he died in our place to forgive us for our sins and our self-independence. Lord, and we pray that this, so we remember that you would compel us by your love to want a deeper relationship with you, and that we would turn to your word and you would speak to us, and Lord, that you would be glorified and we would be blessed. In Christ's name we pray, amen.